it actually is a higher degree of need in many areas than urban areas. So for example, when you're talking about poverty or health disparities, life expectancy, it's actually all worse on average in rural America. You are listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board. Welcome to this episode of CEO Perspectives, a signature series by the Conference Board. CEO Perspectives are conversations that take an objective, nonpartisan look at a range of subjects that matter most to business leaders. I'm Steve Odlin from the Conference Board and the host of this series. And in today's conversation, we're going to discuss investment in rural America. How can companies advance their social and environmental goals, generate tangible business returns, and help bridge the urban-rural divide? Joining me today is Paul Washington, the Executive Director of our ESG Center at the Conference Board. Paul, as always, welcome. Thanks, Steve. Great to be with you today. So the ESG Center just released a new report calling for companies to better support rural America. Before we dive into the report findings, let's start by saying, what is rural America? What do we mean when we say that? You know, what's there's urban, there's suburban, and then I guess rural, right? Yeah, there is. But it's actually pretty stunning that there is no single government approved definition of rural in rural America. Uh, it, it's, it's really extraordinary. In some ways, it's often defined as areas that are not urban, if you can <laughs> believe it. Um, but there are different ways of of looking at it. You can generally people look at a you know a, jur- a governmental jurisdiction and they they look at the total num- population in that area. They look at the density of the population in the area and they look at um, the use of land in that area. So there are three different approaches in this area. Um, in many ways, rural America, which is actually a lot more diverse than a lot of people think in in many ways, is something of a combination of all three. It's got a certain level of population, a certain level of population density or lack of density. And um, the land use is, is, you know, it's it's for farming, it's for forestry, it's for those sorts of things. All right. So just, you know, layman's, um, you know, use then, it's, it's basically farmland it's it's uh it's open land it's forest land it's yeah. it's small town america so it's yeah. really outside of the the big urban areas and you know which have suburbs so that's right. how we think about this that's really that's that's really it and there's a lot of it <laughs> well you know i think people think of the rural america as being you know sort of the midwest or, you know iowa you know kansas right. But it there's there's a lot of rural areas in the Northeast, you know, in once you get outside of the, you know, the the New York urban area, outside of Chicago, you know, outside of L.A., you know, you just get you know a little bit further out, and and it's definitely rural. So there's rural, there are rural areas everywhere in every state. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in upstate New York in a in a town of six thousand, and our congressional district is the sixth least densely populated district in the United States. And that's just two hours north of New York City. That explains a lot about you, Paul, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> well, today. that's a separate web uh, podcast. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so, you know, it, it, rural America is sparsely populated, a lot of, a lot of different diversity. So, uh, you know, when you look at the United States and, and its landmass, then what, what sets apart rural areas from urban areas, just out of simplicity? Yeah, a lot of things. I mean, 
I'll, I'll talk about some of the things that set it apart. Obviously, lower population, different use of land. There are also things that set it apart, um, which we can talk about more later, uh, but it actually is a higher degree of need in many areas than urban areas. So for example, when you're talking about poverty or health disparities, life expectancy, it's actually all worse on average in rural America than it is in, in urban America. And that may go counter to what a lot of people think. It's also, as we'll talk about, it's actually really quite diverse. And there's a diversity in rural America. Um, people tend to think of it as a, a largely white population, but you've got a lot of people of color and in different levels in different parts of the country. The, the American rural South is different from the American rural Midwest or Northeast or Southwest. Um, so it's really, it's interesting. There are certain commonalities, but there's a great degree of diversity even within rural America in, in every sense of the word. Yeah, so you've talked about it in terms of uh, you know more demographic, but attitudinally there are big change, you know, big differences between rural and and urban America. Yeah, I think so. Look, having grown up in an area, you know, we talked actually, Steve, you and I talked about on a recent podcast biodiversity, and we talked about biomes, which is you know the ecosystem that exists in a particular area, whether it's uh, in a forested area or grassland area. There, you can think of in some ways, rural America as a different kind of biome that's a different different use of land, um, different um, cultural norms in those areas than in urban areas, uh, different economic basis in those areas, different social basis. It's, it, it, is, it is in many ways distinctly different from suburban and urban America in terms of, you know, obviously things like the pace of life. Well, and, you know, we're a country of immigrants in the United States. So, you know, you find different immigrant pockets. Uh, exactly right. Rural America, too, which drive cultural differences and um, yeah. and and views. You also see big political differences. We're not, you know, we're nonpartisan. We don't talk about this, but there are political differences driven in, in large part by this, by their social views. Um, and this goes back to ethnicity and, and so forth in each of these areas. So real, real big, real big differences, uh, you know, pocket to pocket around the country. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, your report also notes that, you know, rural America is 97 percent of the land, but 20 percent of the population. That that tells you something. Yeah, that gives you a lot about population density. Exactly yeah. right. And, and 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 so let's go then to the need because I think people and com companies tend to be headquartered in urban areas. Um, you know there are there are some exceptions to that. Uh, and and the larger the company, the larger the urban area. It seems you know, but it it correlates. Yeah. And so uh, companies tend to give philanthropically, and and their you know activities around ESG tend to be focused in in around their corporate headquarters, which leaves you know, 20% of the population kind of without, you know, without this whole support group, doesn't it? It does. And look, and so we've, you know, our report notes that only about um, 5% of the uh, large philanthropic grants coming from corporations and other sources are made in rural America, despite 20% of the population there, despite the needs um, that that exist. You know, there are a lot of factors that feed into that, Steve. I think part of it is that the 
you know, the larger institutions that might receive big grants, museums, symphonies, hospitals even, tend to be in urban or suburban areas. So the organizations that can receive big grants tend to be there. Um, the money is often in urban areas and suburban areas. That's where companies and other philanthropists uh, philanthropic organizations are are headquartered. So you've got the the recipients are in urban areas. the The money is in urban areas. You also have, frankly, a lot more attention. I think over time in our country has been paid to the social and economic needs of urban areas than rural areas. So there's just a lot more press attention to those needs. And then there's something else that, you know, is understandable as well, which is, you know, in some ways, if you're going to tackle a problem, um, whether it's racial inequality or economic opportunity or educational attainment, you, you know, it can be more efficient, frankly, to do it in an urban area because you're able to reach a particular population, you know, a, a large number of people more efficiently than you can in rural America. So though all those things sort of work together, unfortunately, to the disadvantage of rural America in getting uh, philanthropic attention. Well, the other thing is that, you know, rural America on average is poorer, yeah. poorer than, than urban America. And, you know, when you adjust it for government support levels, it, you know, it's poorer yet because yes. you know, government support tends to follow the population because it's it's the government support goes to a person you know whatever the program is so it's at a person level and so when you total up the dollars the dollars go more to where the people are which is the urban area but 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 you see less less support going to these rural areas so their needs are multiplied by their lack of governmental support um and and also their lack of these philanthropic grants that go but, Absolutely. but their needs on a per person level are still there. And I think that's the point of your. Oh, absolutely. I mean, rural America, when you talk about the issues there compared to urban America, and again, this may be different from a lot of people think, but higher poverty, higher mortality, lower life expectancy, lower economic and educational attainment, greater health disparities, and on top of that, weaker infrastructure. And that infrastructure is not just traditional infrastructure of roads and bridges and so forth. It's also digital infrastructure. I mean, the uh, broadband, uh, you know, nearly a fifth of rural America doesn't have access to broadband, which is a vastly different from, um, from the picture in urban America. Yeah, broadband technology, uh, but, you know, also, you know, deliveries and, and so forth. You, you, I think in, in the urban areas, you can expect delivery same day or yeah. know, next day at worst. But when you get out in these rural areas, it can take it can take many days to get there. I mean, you know, we're not doing Pony Express anymore, but but it is different in the economics for companies delivering in 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 in, in rural areas, whether it's whether it's delivery of packages you know, a la e-commerce, but also delivery of healthcare. I mean, a lot of people are 50, 60 miles away from any kind of healthcare support. Yeah. And and that's, I mean, there are a couple of, healthcare is a really great place to, to focus on here because in, you know, there's a, as much as there are troubles in terms of labor shortages in urban and uh, suburban American healthcare workers, the shortages are really acute in, um, just for healthcare workers in general, in rural America, you know, 
it's a long distance to a hospital, could be a great distance even to a doctor. So it's interesting in rural America, pharmacies are often, um, you know, the main source of, of healthcare in, in a rural community. Yeah, and it's interesting, they, they, you know, people in rural communities even call the pharmacist doc and they go, yeah. they go and, and they get advice on on things other than just, you know, a transactional purchase of a of a prescription. So it's it's a really different attitude because they they are the most informed and educated people, you know, and the most successful people uh, from a healthcare perspective. So all of these needs add up and I think the point of your of your of your report is to say, okay, look, we get it. 80% of the populations in these urban areas, we get that. We understand but 20% isn't. And this 20% is part of your supply chain. It's part of your customer base. It's where all the food is grown. <laughs> you know, it's where yes. all the mining is done and the raw materials, where all the, the forestry is done. So all, all you know, go all the way back up through everyone's supply chains, all these companies' supply chains. And that's where the source of all these materials come from. And we need to support those areas. And, and you know, from a, you know, an environmental standpoint, we need to support those people in those areas, all of these things. It's a very complex set of issues. Yeah, ex exactly. In fact, you know, I think the pandemic, um, among other things, caused everyone to be aware that, um, you know, you need to think about your company's workforce, not just within your own four walls, but think about your supply chain upstream and your customers downstream and their economic and social health are as important to your company as those people who work directly within your own four walls. So um, for companies to thrive, no matter where they're headquartered, you really need a, a healthy rural America. Yeah, and, and you know, you can't, you can't do the kinds of tasks and uh, provide the goods and services that are being provided in a rural America, just be, you know, not to go back and repeat the list that I went just went through, but you can't, you can't do that virtually. You can't do a Zoom call and, and and mine. You can't you can't do forestry over Zoom. You can't do farming over Zoom. So so the pandemic had had less of a of a change in lifestyle and a change in needs in in these areas. Right. And you, you pointed out something uh, awfully important. You know, this isn't something that can be picked up and moved, <laughs> right? Um, rural economies, there's a reason why they're there and what they're producing. And so they're irreplaceable and they're indispensable to the health of the American economy. We're discussing corporate investment in rural America. We're going to take a short break and be right back. What does the future of work mean for your employees? How will your company navigate ESG? Will there be a global recession? At the conference board, our experts translate the latest research and economic analysis into insights and real-time problem solving for your organization. Membership at the Conference Board provides your team with an assortment of knowledge from economics, marketing and communications, ESG, public policy, and human capital. As a member, you'll have access to our center experts, member-exclusive events, data and benchmarking tools, and peer sharing that will help you understand the present and shape the future. Consider becoming a Conference Board member today by visiting www.conference-board.org. Welcome back to CEO Perspectives. 
I'm your host, Steve Odlin from the Conference Board, and I'm joined today by Paul Washington, who's the Executive Director of the ESG Center at the Conference Board. Okay, so Paul, let's go back to what companies can do about this. You know, we're, we're you made a series of recommendations uh, in your report, which, you know, the overall theme is that companies, you know, really need to do a lot more. What are some of the key points in the report? Well, uh, a, a, a few things. Um, companies can should should really actually do a needs assessment of rural America, whether they've got facilities there, or whether there are customers there, or they've got suppliers there, and look at the connection between their business and the communities that they may want to serve. So you start off by doing a needs assessment. You you listen to the needs of the local community as you would do in an urban area. But here are a few things that stand in the way right now of uh, companies uh, directing philanthropic dollars to, to, to rural America. One is there are fewer nonprofit recipients in rural America compared to urban and suburban America. So what do you do? As a company, you can expand your definition of grantee. You can give money to libraries, to hospitals. You can give money to regional foundations. So you can expand the ambit of the folks to whom, whom you support. Um, the other thing you can do in terms of getting a better sense of the, the needs in rural America, and I thought this was one of the more interesting uh, ideas that emerged from the report, is make sure you're actually hiring from rural America when it, or when it comes to your executive ranks, right? Look at people who actually have some background in rural America. You know, don't just hire necessarily from the coasts or the big cities. You know, there's something to be said for that. I think sometimes people just hire where they're comfortable, and we've seen that. And you know, put put rural America on your on your map when you're thinking about hiring for senior positions, because frankly, that increases senior management's awareness of of the needs in rural America. It's a, it's to my mind that was one of those unexpected insights that came out of our discussions with companies. Well, and and not just senior folks, yeah. but if you do have the ability to hire remote workers, there you know, yeah. there are remote workers in the rural areas who do have broadband access and who can work remotely and you know, that would be a huge lift to those communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I was lucky enough to grow up in a in a small town where IBM operated not too far away. And the combination of um, a rural uh, environment and all the support you have in a town where people know who you are, plus the economic opportunity that was offered by a major employer like IBM was just enormous. It meant, frankly, that the, uh, you know, 95% of the kids in my high school graduated and about 70% went off to college. Wow. That's, that's an incredible stat. So, what do you say to companies who say, well, look, you know, I, I I understand what you're saying, but our headquarters is in New York and that's where our, you know, we've got all of our headquarter employees there. We've got our foundation head there. So our focus is on New York and really, you know, we, we, we just, we, you know, we, we don't feel a connection to yeah. these other places. What do you, what do you say? Well, I, I'd say three, there are three really powerful reasons why, companies should consider directly more of their corporate philanthropy to rural America, more of their invest citizenship investments. The first is 
those areas are critical to your business. You may not have a concentration of employees there, but you do have a concentration of suppliers and customers there as, as well. So, um, you know, they are important to your business. Um, you may also have employees there. So, and even if your headquarters aren't there, you may have satellite operations there. So it is important to your business. These areas are important to your business. Second, they are also a very natural extension of the issues that you may be focusing on already in your corporate philanthropy. Take diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, rural America is, is actually rather diverse. You've got about 20% of rural America are, are people of color. Um, you've got 15 to 20% that who of the LGBT community nationwide um, is actually in rural America. So you actually have a fairly diverse population. If you're interested in advancing diversity, you can do so in rural America. If you're interested in addressing environmental issues, well, actually the needs in rural America are even greater than those in urban and suburban America. So second thing, it's a natural extension of your programs. And then finally, if you're a U.S. company that cares about the economic alienation and political polarization in our country, you need to pay attention to rural America. You alluded to that earlier, Steve. You know, we we live in a world where there's this red-blue divide, urban-rural uh, divide, and, you know, companies can address that by directing attention and resources to rural America. They can have a huge, they can make a huge difference in how corporate America is perceived in rural America and actually knitting back together the social fabric of this country. Yeah, you know, and you mentioned the environmental, which most companies have some sort of sustainability environmental. Yeah. Um, you know, contribution, 97% of the mass of the land mass and therefore 97% of the environment is in rural areas. So yeah, and, and, it, it, yes. it's just a natural fit. Yeah, and look, if whether if you care about climate, then you actually care about preserving plant life in, in rural America. If you care about biodiversity, well, that's where the species are. If you care about water quality, for goodness sakes, and you know, think about rural America in, in terms of water supply and water quality. It's 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 all there to be to be addressed. So if you actually care about, and I think companies do, they, they care about their home communities, but gosh, it's, you know, we're all part of one broader American ecosystem and rural America, uh, you know, is, is a critical part of that. Yeah, and you talked about, you mentioned this briefly, but, it, it, you know, it, the it, it's easy to go directly um, to, recipients in an urban area you know it's it you look people in the eyes and and you can you can deal with it you don't have the same the same freedom to do that uh in in rural america just because of the uh the, the lower levels of population but there are lots and lots of nonprofit partners so i think yeah yes. instead of instead of direct philanthropy you have to companies need to start thinking about partnership philanthropy you know, yeah in address in different types of partners, including, and here's something that where there's been a big gap in corporate philanthropy generally, but it's actually in working with, with other companies, 
because again, you can increase your efficiency if you're working alongside other companies. And frankly, with government agencies, we did a survey and only 30% of the companies that are engaging in corporate philanthropy in rural America are, are actually working in conjunction with government or taking government into account. And, and as you pointed out, government is already providing massive support to rural areas. So it only makes sense for corporate America to look at what the government is doing and figure out a way where there can be effective private public partnerships. Because, you know, this is one of the issues where, frankly, if companies can work effectively with government in rural America, they might be able to sort of set the standard for how they can address working with government in other areas, including natural disasters, including issues like racial inequality. Companies often are going alone in these areas. And frankly, in rural America, they can't. They need to work with other companies, different types of nonprofit organizations and government. Well, and a lot of companies have uh, em employee contributions going to, you know, the big nationally known organizations, you know, the, the yeah. art organizations, the Red Cross, you know, those kind of organizations. But, but you know, you, sh you should be thinking about pointing the application of those donations to rural America. In other words, you, you don't you don't have to, you know, try to look up every local library group in rural America, you can get there even through these national contributions. That's an enormously helpful and practical uh, suggestion, Steve. So that's something companies can do when because a lot of philanthropy is done through employee grants or matching grants from the company and making sure it's almost like, you know, your 401k options, making sure that there are options to serve rural America and frankly, educating your own population about the needs, your own corporate population about the needs of rural America. Look, the media are concentrated in urban America. So those are the areas that get more attention. And frankly, the needs of urban of rural America haven't gotten the same degree of attention. Companies can step in and at least do something to fill the gap and make sure their employees understand the needs of rural America and understand the needs of rural America and how it connects to their own company. So everything we've been talking about kind of has been one way, the benefits to rural America by companies investing there. But what are the benefits in return that companies can, can expect? Well, you can think about it. You have, think about your customers. They're more healthier um, customers, right? Um, economically and physically. So you've got a better you know, population that you're serving, more reliable and resilient suppliers, um, whether they're directly supplying your company or whether they're, you know, they're supplying food, right? So better suppliers, better customers. You know, the other thing is frankly, you know, for companies that um, do have remote workforces, it's more places where your employees can work. Um, and for companies that are thinking about relocating some of their facilities, maybe to lower cost areas, you know, a healthier set of communities in rural America provides a company with more options as to where they may want to locate their facilities because they will want to locate their facilities in a place with good education, good health care, um, good cultural opportunities and so forth. So the more vibrant rural America is, the more options uh, corporate America has for where they will set up shop, where they'll have employees and so forth. And then finally, it is in corporate America's best interest to have an economically healthier America, a politically less polarized America, less economic and social alienation throughout our country. Um, I think 
there's probably no CEO in America who would argue that we'd be better off if we could diminish the polarization and alienation. And a great way to address that is by focusing on rural America. What's in America's interest is in corporate America's interest. Yeah, I just want to pick up on the point about facilities. I know when, when we think about, when companies think about their facilities, they, they think about the headquarters facility. And, and that's that's pretty hard to put, you know, put out into, yeah. a, you know, a rural area. But but there's a lot of other kinds of facilities, you know, whether they're they're back office facilities that that don't need to interface necessarily every day with the group and the headquarters. There are plants uh, that produce things that are, you know, that are uh, can be in these areas and call centers, you know, all these other yeah. things. And and the cost of labor can be lower because the cost of living is lower in those rural areas. So companies can actually lower their cost base by. Uh, establishing these, the, you know, whatever facilities they can in these more rural areas. Absolutely right. It could be distribution facilities. It could be data farms. It can be call centers. It, a whole variety of different types of operations can be run either in a main facility or in a dispersed workforce in rural America. Okay. Final thoughts on the report. Anything we missed? Yeah, I, I guess the only thing I'd add is while this report focuses on corporate citizenship, you know, that's corporate philanthropy, volunteering, and so forth. I think its message is broader to corporate America, which is what you think you know about rural America may, may be based on some sort of false and outdated assumptions. It is a very diverse area in so many ways. Its needs are multiple and urgent. And frankly, it's you know, the the opportunity for companies um, to advance their own economic interests and our country's social interests and economic interests for our entire country are there. So I think to the extent that we've been able to shine a light on rural America through the lens of corporate philanthropy, my hope is that CEOs across this country read this report and think about how to address the needs of rural America, not just through corporate philanthropy, but through their own company's operations and more broadly. Well stated. Paul Washington, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Steve. It's always great to be with you. And thanks to all of you for listening into CEO Perspectives. Every week, I'll be joined by a prominent thought leader to provide insights on the issues of our time. We'll cover leading topics in ESG, public policy, economics, and more. Please share CEO Perspectives with your colleagues, with your friends, with your family, with everybody you know in rural America. I know they're going to want to listen. I'm Steve Odlin, and this series has been brought to you by the Conference Board. You have been listening to CEO Perspectives, a podcast by the Conference Board.